good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are. This is Michelle. And Serena. And this is From From the the Root. A discussion-based podcast that explores holistic wellness. Through our lived experiences as Black queer people. Today we're talking about our bodies. And the reason why I feel like this topic is important is because there are a lot of times in our childhood in which we internalize that our bodies are not ours to hold sacred. And I think it would be a great discussion for how does that impact Black, queer, non-men people. I agree. I think that the way that bodily ownership comes up is very different for particularly for folks who identify as cisgender men and so thank you for bringing up this conversation today great so i want to start off the topic by discussing spankings have you ever been spanked as a child no (laughs) i've never been spanked um my brother was spanked but I was not. Was your brother older or younger? He was older. He's four years older than me. Um, oh, okay. There was only, yeah, there was only one time that my mom was like saying she was going to spank me and I like pouted my way out. of. I think I was seven, <laughs> not, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Me and my, my, my mom and my aunt were like went out. And so all of the kids, all me and my cousins were home alone. And so we decided to take a trip to McDonald's, <laughs> which we had to cross like a four lane highway or something. And, you know, when they got back and found out, like they were so furious. And so I know like all of my cousins got spanked. Like uh, my aunt definitely like spanked uh, liberally. And my mom spanked my brother, but she never spanked me and I always told her, like, there was one time that I remember she, like, hit me. And I remember her, like, grabbing my, like, hand and, like, slapping it or something. And I, this, I feel like I was, like, three or four, very young. And she was like, no, that never happened. And so I don't know if that's true or not. But that was the only time that I recollect anything like that. What, why do you think your mom didn't spank you but spanked your brother? Um, I honestly think that is because I experienced sexual abuse assault as a child. And, um, my mom was a survivor of, um, child sexual abuse and, um, also just like physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, my brother, um, I think, I think maybe she saw herself in me. And because my like bodily autonomy was violated at such, such a young age, I'm I'm reflecting on it now and thinking that's why. Mm. Um, even though yes, I was like the the good kid. My brother was the one who was always like getting in trouble and like didn't listen, and I was always like you know very like I, I listened to my mother. Like I didn't really break the rules. Um, but other than that distinction, I would say maybe that's why um, she chose that route okay. with my brother. Um, so, um, okay, you, Michelle. 
Well, I have one more question for you. How do you feel about spankings now? Um, I'm very against spankings. I just personally don't think that it works or it makes a difference. Um, I've always had that opinion, even growing up. And this it's ironic because if you ask my brother, he'd be like, oh, spankings made me better. Da, da, da. And it's like, did it really? <laughs> like, um, I just, I'm of the opin- opinion that it's... Um, one is like a, a lazy attempt to try to control a situation rather than like, let me build a connection and try to discern this using our words. Um, and it robs the child of that chance and opportunity to learn how to engage meaningfully with communication to resolve, uh, to resolve an issue. And instead it says like, well, I'm going to resort to physical action and, in some cases, people don't even do the whole discussion conversation. And my mother did do that, but she would also spank my brother as well. And I just, um, besides that, I do believe that it's abuse. And to me, it's like you d- you don't put your hands on anybody, but you also should not put your hands on a child. And within our society, children are the most vulnerable population because it's not just the mm-hmm. fact of like whatever identities that a child has, but they have the identity of, being a human that's in a tinier body, often a weaker body, and then the socialization and everything that comes with being a child. You don't have legal rights. You are, you're literally your parents' property. That's how you're treated. There are so many ways in our society that children are abused. And to me, it's like because we've created a society that allows for that. And spanking is a part of that. That just came out heavy. <laughs> yeah, we did. I think that's a really good place to start because um, I was I actually had this quote prepped, but you pretty much said it, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. So in chapter two of All About Love, Bell Hooks talks about um, children and childhood. And one of the quotes that um, is said in this chapter is, as, a, as, a, <clears throat> as absolute rulers, parents can usually decide without any intervention what is best for their children. If children's rights are taken away in any domestic household, they have no legal recourse. And it's interesting that you say that because I'm, I feel like most people who have um, not been spanked do not feel like spanking is the best option. But I feel like children who have been spanked, a lot of them tend to be like, yeah, they believe that, yeah, like children deserve to be spanked. Um, It made them better. Yeah, like it made them better. And I used to think that too. I always thought to myself that like, I used to think that too. Like I always thought to myself that spanking would be a last resort, but it would be an option on the table for me to have towards my children until I read this chapter of Bell Hooks and I was spanked as a child. And it's interesting that you said about the little bodies because it's true. It's weird to think like now, like if you really think about it, like adults are like adults that are two, three times bigger than (laughs) Children are literally spanking their kids. And I think it also allows mm-hmm. for like leakings of like your personal ish- frustrations being let out on that child. Cause like, think about it. You had a long day of work. Your boss didn't respect you or something like that. Maybe your partner 
um, did something that you didn't feel okay about and you didn't talk to them about it yet. So you have all this built in frustration. And then all of a sudden your kid do, does something that you've asked them not to do for the third time. And then before you know it, like you are spanking them, but are you really spanking them because of everything that they did solely or could your frustrations be leaking into your spankings and I think that's a huge possibility and there's no clear line between that like even if you Mm -hmm. think that you're not there's really no way to measure that out and to make sure that you're being conscious about the spankings and like even if you take time to pause from it because I know I'm the type of person who like I'll think about something like if I'm upset I'll take time to process it I'll talk about it with friends and once that feeling is validated, like that feeling of like anger, like is validated from communicating with other people. It's like the minute that I think about it for longer and I know that it's a valid feeling, um, I go from being upset about it to being that much more angry about it. Like the more I think about it, the more angry Mm -hmm. I become. And I think like that can very much happen when you're spanking kids. Another idea about it is... Another thought is just that like no other place in your life are you allowed to put your hands on anybody. And I think that's also an important thing Mm -hmm. to consider. Like you're not teaching your children proper skills of like how to handle frustration, aggression or disappointment from anyone else. You're just teaching them that it's okay to put their hands on somebody or that it's okay that somebody is able to put hands on them. Even as an adult, like you're, You may think like, oh, I'm putting hands on my child because of A, B, C, and D, and I'm the only person allowed to do that. Whether you recognize it or not, somewhere in your child's body, they are, um, they're connecting the idea that like, my body isn't my own. I don't have any ownership over it. It's totally fine Mm -hmm. for somebody to violate it in a physical assaulting way. And it doesn't really teach you or the child any like proper skills of how to properly communicate because you cannot like hit your boss (laughs) when they're overbearing. You're not allowed to um, Mm -hmm. hit an employee because you're frustrated. You can't hit your partner because that's domestic violence. You can't hit a dog because that's, you know, PETA will be on you. Like nowhere in your life are you allowed to put your hands on anyone or anything. But yet... Like even put punching a wall is like a sign of um, abuse, but putting your hands on your kid is totally acceptable. Even private property <laughs> has more. Even private property has more rights. Exactly, literally. like you damage a sign, you were to damage fine. private property. Mm-hmm. But you damage your child. Nothing's wrong, and I think it's really interesting because as an adult who's processing a lot of my childhood traumas, I'm watching all of these like funny videos on like Caribbean parenting. (laughs) And it's funny because like a lot of times in the comments, like you see the, like you see the way that like Haitian people spank their kids, Caribbean people spank their kids, black people spank their kids. And we're like laughing about the times that we've been spanked. And I think it's interesting to see people who've never been spanked and their responses to um, children who have because because <laughs> they're like oh my god like gasping like anytime like, I'm, like you good <laughs> like are you okay <laughs> meanwhile we're like ah, it's totally fine it's totally fine yeah like it's totally fine and it's not like that's a lot of things to process because it does leave you 
I mean, like, you have been mm-hmm. physically assaulted, whether people accept it or not. Like, it's not okay that put somebody put their hands on you, whether it's an adult yeah. or not. Um, and there is yeah. something that does like, get internalized. Laughing about it is just... The... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's a normalization. Exactly. And I think that laughing about it kind of detaches ourselves from our childhood selves. Because, like, I know that if you took time to remember how you felt as a child to be spanked, <laughs> like you know how frustrated you were how angry you were how you didn't mm-hmm. like that feeling and how you were trapped because if you cry oh i'm gonna give you something to cry yeah. about if you don't cry oh mm-hmm. you want to fight me like <laughs> i don't really know how anybody else does it because i was raised by haitians but like it's adult as sport <laughs> you cry you get spanked you don't cry, you get spanked because you're trying to be a tough guy. Like, no, that doesn't work. So, um, and like that, and like, where do you take that anger? Because now they've transferred that onto you, and you have nowhere to let it out because you're not even allowed to communicate to your parents about very valid feelings that you have been physically violated by them, and you're not allowed to show any sadness, anger, anything. You're not allowed to show any of that. You're just supposed to go to your room and deal with it, or like, um kneel in the corner and just deal with it and process yeah. that as a child on your own is that really fair yeah it's it's literally unprocessed trauma i took a workshop recently for work which is just about trauma informed um, services and specifically they were talking about uh, victim victims of domestic violence or interpersonal violence and they were talking about the ways that that will show up when you're meeting with people. And it was talking about minimization. And Mm -hmm. that's when you're talking about it, but you're like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. Like, no, you know, this is, this is fine. That's totally normal. And I like see a lot of the same parallels with people talking about thinking and they're like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. Or, you know, it was okay. And it's really, it's a trauma response, you know, it's a, um, as like self-preservation and an attempt to try to like self-soothe because it's like if you really sat there and dug into like how what are the emotions that came up for me each time that that happened before during after and you felt those emotions that's a lot of unprocessed trauma that like is not gonna feel good and that then you're gonna start you know because like I feel like whenever you the first step to really processing trauma is the acknowledgement of it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it because you start to see the parallels and mm. how that trauma continued to come up throughout your life. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I watched a video of this Haitian person on um, TikTok talking about like the spankings they got as a child. And then like, I remember being in the comments and I was like, oh, like I didn't really deal with that much violence, but I was um, put on my knees as a kid. Like you sit on your yeah. knees, you like kneel in the corner for like hours until your parent tells you to get up um, after you've already been um, spanked. Um, <laughs> and wow. I'm like laughing about it. It's not funny, but that's the only way you can really, you know, deal with it. But um, yeah, like that, like that doesn't like and somebody in the comments said like no that's still abuse because you're growing and 
like they're damaging your joints and i never really thought about it that way which is interesting because like in Mm -hmm. haitian households like i've been told like you don't even deal with that it's not even that deep for you like at least you're kneeling on carpet i had to kneel on sand i had to kneel on this i had to kneel on that (laughs) i had to kneel on rice like it gets worse but you remember like i remember like all the markings of the carpet on my knees like i remember the welts on my hands Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to um that's just uncomfortable well that's the point (laughs) it's not supposed to be comfortable you're in trouble you sit in the court you stay you kneel in that corner and you think about what you did so um Mm-hmm. yeah i just it's it's interesting to see how many people really don't take the time to process that but i'm seeing more i don't really i can't speak for everybody but i am seeing more caribbean people in these comments of like these videos of <laughs> haitian like you know those haitian skits of um someone spanking mm-hmm. their kid Parents. yeah with the stuttering and all this stuff like they like okay yeah i'm not gonna get into detail but um it's interesting to see the comments because they're like wow that was really triggering (laughs) and i think it's great that like that's the conversation that we're having because hopefully we could stop doing that to our kids i don't really know how black americans uh spank their kids because i'm not black american i'm haitian american i'm a black haitian person and um it's i know that like caribbean parents haitian parents like need to really or like caribbean like caribbean american children really need to sit and like process this huge trauma that has been placed on us as not a way to like resent our parents because i know that my parents did what they were taught like you know what i mean if you don't see another way you don't know another way and you could say like you won't do it you won't do it but if you don't know what an alternative is and like this is so ingrained in you it's surprising how much you'll just jump to that um response even though you hated it so um i don't want to put blame on parents in that way i don't feel like that's fair and i also don't feel like that's a i don't think that's fair and i also feel like that's just putting them in a binary and that's not fair either like it's not about being good or bad but it is a conversation about challenging the way we choose to handle our children and if punishments is even necessary because we're black people like we already deal with so much of a punitive system in so many different ways. Like what are ways that we can show our children like love and care and also change their, Mm -hmm. we're black people and we go through a lot in this country and like all of the systems that black people are experiencing, like experiencing are all punitive. What are ways that we can show love to our children and alternate their behavior without putting our hands on them and without punishing them necessarily? sure. When you know better, you do better. So it's a conversation that I'm glad it's kind of starting to happen, you know, and hopefully we can start breaking that cycle. So next topic, what have your experiences been with bullying and how has that impacted you with um, your connection to your body? I think the only way I've been bullied a lot as a kid, like it was a lot from probably the third grade till high school. And I was never, I never really dealt with too much physical violence in school. But I think one of the things that did always was always in the back of my head. Every parent raises a child different. I feel like black Americans are like, you get beat up and you come home and you didn't beat that person up you get a beat down here versus like my parents who were like, uh, uh-uh, we're in America now. Like you can't be doing stuff like that. 
you put your hands on somebody, I'm going to spank you too. Like, don't do that. So I was always like stuck in this. Um, I was always trapped in this thing of like, I'm not allowed to put my hands on somebody. I was also afraid of somebody putting their hands on me. But I knew that either way, I was if I put my hands on somebody or somebody put their hands on me, either way, my somebody's gonna put their hands on me when I get home too. So <laughs> I wasn't trying to deal with all of that. Like that was too much of a risk. Yeah. Not twice. <laughs> exactly. Like, not two times. Especially because I was so skinny. <laughs> yeah. I knew, oh. I, I was really skinny. I knew I wasn't gonna be like taking down anybody. So I was just like, look, I'm not trying to get beat up twice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you gotta be realistic sometimes. Yeah, you gotta just you gotta size up your point. Like, mm, <laughs> like mm, this nah, ain't gonna work. You this is not gonna work. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't. I did not feel it in that way. I think that when it came to bullying, I think it's important to have that conversation. Just because it's not. Um, I don't think we. I think bullying is a really nice way of saying that you have been harassed as a child, like you have been abused as a child by other children. And um, I don't think that's really fair that we kind of just label it bullying because I feel like it's lighter than what it truly is because people don't tend to take that as seriously. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and that like really messes with a lot of kids. I knew that for me, it caused me to have a lot of anger issues. Like I would have dreams of like, um, violently attacking like the kids that were making fun of me because it was so you know kids are persistently evil <laughs> like you know when you're a kid you're just evil yeah. like because you yeah. don't realize the impact that you're gonna have on <laughs> they somebody give you a name uh-huh. and it, is, stick. it just <laughs> it sticks and um it's interesting because <laughs> like I know that chances are at some point your bully doesn't even remember the things that they did or they don't remember your name, Mm -hmm. but you will never forget (laughs) like who Mm -hmm. did it. Like I remember first names. I remember last names. If I see these people on the street, I know exactly who they are. Like it's interesting how much of an imprint that um, bullies can have on their, on their victims and we don't take it seriously at all. And we need to do a better job at that. I think, like, nowadays, like, there's so many anti-bullying. Um, actually, yeah, no. People are taking it more seriously now. Because I know that there's a lot of anti-bullying yeah. stuff in school because of, like, a lot of um, people uh, unaliving themselves. But... Mm. Really wish that that was, you know, I wish I grew up with that, but I'm glad that children do have that now. But I do think of that as another instance yeah. in which like your safety, your body isn't necessarily your own, whether it's just your, your whole physical body or your, your mental and emotional state. Cause you can't, you're so vulnerable mm-hmm. in classes. Were you ever bullied? I wouldn't necessarily, well, so I've only ever like had like one fight and that was some some little boy in this neighborhood. I don't think he even he didn't even live in my neighborhood. He was like the cousin of somebody else I knew. I don't know why he I think it was something I said. Like I used I used to talk my talk like <laughs> especially to the boys and I was I was big for my age, so I was always like bigger than the boys. Mm-hmm. And whatever I said, he was mad about, so he hit me. I was like 8 at the time. And I hit him back and I like hit him good. And so he ran off right away and went to tell his aunt. I'm like, listen, he hit me first. So 
you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not my fault that I hit him harder. Um, so that was the only time that I think like he was going to try and bully me and that didn't happen. But I will say like when I got older, I did experience like slut shaming mm -hmm. and this happened in like, I want to say high school, Like yeah, like a couple instances in high school. Um, like I started having sex like younger and I remember this one case where I had sex with a guy, my period came, I did not know. And I, he like, I found out like after and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And then he went and told the school. Dang. And I was just like, and I remember like being shamed and, um, this was actually like 10th grade. And I remember like my friends, not even my friends, like not even speaking up or saying anything. I remember just feeling like so shitty and terrible. And then in junior high, like I came to school in a cute, like little outfit, this little jean outfit. And this, this girl who she was a bully. I remember her, like she used to get in fights all the time. I thought I felt so cute. And I was walking down the hall. She's like, oh, you think you cute? And I like, and she's bigger than me. So this is that moment where I size up yep. the person. Mm -hmm. like, she can beat your ass. <laughs> Fair <Just> enough. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it just—I remember like a moment like that because it made me shrink, and like moments like that. And then like that also happened to me in college. And it was like, and I didn't even fuck the person either. And I'm like, listen, I'm, I'll be honest about who I had sex with. Like, and this person was just lying on me. Um, and that happened a couple times in college. So a lot of things like relating to my sexuality um, and having that like weaponized against me. So mm -hmm. I would say though in those ways, but like not the um, more like typical bullying where somebody's like persistently picking on me for some, something. So. Okay. Yeah. So then how does that, how did that impact you as far as sexual harassment goes? Like, were you sexually mm -hmm. harassed as a kid? Especially yes. by other kids? Absolutely. <laughs> by other kids? Um, probably. And I say probably because, like, I'm reflecting on it now. And... I probably normalized the things that were said to me or like done to me. I don't remember anybody like touching me or anything, but I do remember like, like the boys where they would like, Oh, they would dare somebody to go another boy to go and touch a girl's ass or whatever. And yeah. like, I remember that happening and seeing that and like laughing about it and joking about it and like laughing it off and never like processing and like that's harassed. That's sexual harassment. Yeah. And I like, get happening in front of teachers. Um, it happened in front of teachers. Mm hmm. This is like lunchtime. And I don't know, maybe the kid did get detention. Like I said, like, I, I just, I didn't even have that analysis of it to be like, yo, y'all need to get him. You need to do something about him. Yeah. Um, more of the like, he, 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 like, you know, he's just being a silly boy. But I definitely like older men when I was, you know, 12, probably earlier, 11, 12, 13, like on, anything onward there. I remember being in the mall and like older men, like they must have been twenties, thirties, forties, um, looking at me and my friends, trying to talk to me and my friends. I remember like walking around my neighborhood as a kid, um, and like my my friend's mom used to always warn us. She was like, "Don't be, don't be running around all fast or anything, because you know the you know somebody might snatch you, truck might drive by and snatch you or whatever." 
Um, and I remember like older men talking to us, hitting on us. Um, and, and I remember like, as I got like older, like liking that attention, like not the, I would say like early Mm twenties, liking that attention and being like, Oh, you know, they're so much more mature than me and like feeling flattered by it and not seeing like how fucked up and how predatory (laughs) these people actually were. Yeah. So I would say like. That, those are some of my earliest experiences with like sexual harassment and just never even processing it as like this is sexual harassment unless it was somebody that it was like a clear cut like oh this person is old and this is nasty yeah you know? it's interesting how like there's that mix between sexual harassment and adultification at a young age like where people mm-hmm. just like start putting it on you like oh you can't be fast even though you're like mm-hmm. a teenager like of course you're trying to be cute like that's what we're taught like right women are taught like we're supposed to be attractive like even as a kid like we're taught that we're supposed to be attractive like there's never really a time in which we're allowed to just be kids without like our physical um presence not impacting our lives like um and that's it's it's strange but I remember that happening because I used to be the tallest kid in my class and um a lot of times I realized that adults would treat me differently because of the fact that I was so tall. They just assumed that I was older, mm. which is funny because I was actually probably one of the youngest kids in my class. Cause my, um, mm-hmm. my parents, I was born in October. So because of it, my parents, uh, they, they made sure that I was still up to date. Cause I think the cutoff is September and then they leave you back a class, but my parents made sure that I went up a yeah. class so um, I was always one of the youngest students in my class, but yet there was so many, there was so much expectation of me to act older or to, not necessarily older or more mature or like I would get blamed for things and people would expect more accountability on my part, even though mm-hmm. I'm a child in those ways. I did not, yeah. I did get sexually harassed as a kid, but it was that same thing. Like the whole um, boys going up to you and touching your butt, which I did not like. Cause like I started developing mm-hmm. when I was like 12 and then before I knew it, I went from being made fun of for being so skinny to being like the girl with the big butt. And, but I, but you know, you internalize mm-hmm. so much. So at that time I thought it was like a compliment. Cause it's like, oh, okay, now boys are st- finally starting to find me attractive after all this time. <laughs> Instead of realizing it, like, you know, yeah. it's not okay for, for your boys to be touching. Like, I mean, I knew that it wasn't okay for them to be touching my butt. Like I'd always like you know, have a little attitude when they did it. But at the same time, I knew that I also internalized the idea that like that made me cute. Although that's not true at all. They're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, objectifying you. But, you know, as a kid, that's what you pick up. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, some attention is better than none. Exactly. That's that's definitely how I felt. Which is interesting because I remember being in college and reading a book about... uh, a woman who started to like wear drag in her everyday life. So she, she still identified as a woman, but she would pass for a man on the street. And she realized like how much disrespect there was towards women because of how men would not, Mm. you know, they treat you so differently. Like where men would stare and gawk at you as a woman. If you, if they did that to another man, it's a sign of disrespect. Also like the whole, you know, gay thing, the homophobia, Mm -hmm. but it's also a sign of disrespect as well. And, um, I remember taking that in and being like, nah, I don't want no man touching me. I don't want, (laughs) like, I don't want any man like 
looking at me or anything like that. Like I refuse to accept this as like a normal thing now because I know that you would never do it to each other. So do not do that to me. I do not like it. Like if you're looking and I'm not aware of it, that's whatever. Be discreet at least because I understand, you know, I'm fine. But at the same time, like, like at the same time, have some respect and like be discreet about it. Don't be staring at me, following me, any of those things, because I know already that you would never do that to a man. So don't ever do that to me. Like, I would rather you just see me as a guy on the street than to, um, I would rather be perceived. I mean, I could, nobody's ever going to perceive me to be a guy and that's not, and I'm okay with that. I don't, <laughs> I just don't think that that's something that people would typically pick up with the way I look. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't I would like for men to treat me like a guy even if they can't perceive me that way because I do not like it when men go out of their way to gawk at me or look at me or touch me or talk to me. Honestly, just don't even talk to me. <laughs> okay. So like when it comes to the whole idea of men thinking that it was a compliment for men to find you attractive, that's some form of body validation. How do you feel how do you feel about that? Like, how did you like interpret body validation as a child towards like your teenage young adult years? Although I still think we're young adults. We're only 30. (laughs) (laughs) We are, we are. Um, and definitely our elders love to tell us that. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They're like, you're still young. (laughs) Um, body validation. I, I was kind of reflecting on this earlier and um, I used to feel very validated by those attentions. And even though it was frustrating, I, at, even though at times it was frustrating, it, it wasn't until I kind of took a deeper analysis of the sexual harassment that I was experiencing that I was really like, you know, this is not that it's just not okay, but like, this is too much. It's just mm. too much. And I don't want to deal with it. And I, that was definitely coming to New York and dealing with uh, sexual harassment, which I feel like is a whole different level. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really is. Uh, it really, like sometimes really it's just is. A group of them from at mm-hmm. different locations. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of me. It's like birds sitting, little pigeons sitting <laughs> on the ledge, just, <laughs> like cawing at you or whatever. That's what it feels like. That is what um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, and for the longest time, it felt very validating. And I was reflecting on this earlier because I read something that talked about hyperfeminization and like dressing in that presentation as a means of safety. And I've definitely used how I dressed as a means of being safer in public because I knew that they would, if I was pretty, if I was pretty and I, and, cause I could tell the difference if I went out and I had makeup on and I was fully dressed, like I did my nails did my hair, all of that, I was treated differently than if I just walked out in sweats and not say that they weren't necessarily perceiving me as like pretty or somebody having pretty privilege. But when I did all of that, I was treated differently. Mm. Um, 
and also seeing how the different ways I was treating as like my style evolved and stuff because I used to wear head wraps a lot and so it'd be like hey queen what's Mm -hmm. up queen (laughs) like that type of thing um and so appreciating that for a long time and then as like I leaned into my queerness here and started kind of playing around with the way I dress I it got to the point I was like no this is not okay this is too much and I I feel that like energetically there was a shift in me and because I don't get as much sexual harassment I don't think it's just like the change in the way that I dress or anything I do think it's like an energetic thing And this is not like a comment to say like, oh, people are asking for it, but you do call energy to you that is a match for you. And that can be like, if you're an empath, you're going to call a narcissist to you. If you're you're a chronic overgiver, you're going to call a narcissist to you. And it's not to say you deserve it, but energetically, if you're giving, 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 you're going to draw somebody who wants to take, take, take. That's just the way energy works. And I realized like energetically when I was just like, nah, I'm not, we're not doing this anymore. It's significantly decreased. It's kind of insane because it's like back then, honestly, I was more on it about like always talking about how it was wrong and everything. But when I really shifted my energy, I saw a change in that. But uh, for a lot of my life, a lot of like bodily validation was very dependent on like other people and how they're perceiving me, um, especially uh, cis men, um, especially because I dated cis men for such a long time, and I'm I'm so happy that <laughs> that's changed. Yeah, yeah. But what uh, what about you? Um, how I guess did your um, sense of bodily uh, validation develop from sexual harassment or from other sources, and how has it kind of changed? I think I'm just starting to now recognize that I need to validate myself because when I was younger, I didn't really like, I didn't really get too much body validation besides when I was like in the sophomore year. So sophomore year of high school during the summer before sophomore year, I only pretty much ate clementines. I don't know. I read something in some magazine that talked about how like clementines makes your skin clear. And it's true. It does because Huh. of antioxidants that are in the clementines yeah because you get a lot of vitamin c through that but mm-hmm. i was only eating clementines and working out so yeah, like i lost a, a lot of weight yeah that's not a healthy thing but then the way that people commented on my body and told me how pretty I, you know i looked better and people seem to be more attracted mm-hmm. to me like um i wanted to keep that up so like yeah. uh there were days where like i felt like i ate too much so i just wouldn't eat for a day Mm. and be like all right i'm gonna get my little abs back um and then i I did that frequently throughout my sophomore year of high school i think it's the first time i'm actually talking about that but um i was walking home from school one day and it was one of those days that i didn't eat and i just fell like i just passed out on the ground um yeah Thankfully, I was close to home and like I wasn't gone. I wasn't out for too long. So I just got myself back up and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. But it was interesting to see the way that people perceived me, especially because I think like I didn't necessarily get too much body validation. I got picked apart a lot, like not because of uh sexual well it is a form of sexual harassment but it's like your family like doing the whole oh like talking about like my butt 
all the time, always talking about my butt, how big it is, like talking about if I'm skinny or if I'm fat, telling me I need to lose weight, you know, like family just does that. And, um, like that was frustrating. I remember one time, like my, my best friend at the time, her mom would tell me that I needed to lose weight. And I was just like, I, you pay my bills. Like I, I'm so confused. Why do you feel like you have the autonomy to say that? Yeah, like, I was just so shocked at the audacity, but that happens a lot of times in Haitian culture where people just kind of, I think that's, like, that's very common Mm. in probably a lot of different, like, first-generation families where people just think it's acceptable. Very Latinx. Yeah, like, people just think it's acceptable to just comment on your body all the time, telling you if you're gain weight, lost weight, your butt's so big. Like, I used to get that comment a Mm -hmm. a lot, and, like, that stuff is really um, frustrating because, like, you not, you could just never be like you know <laughs> like I was never able to be yeah. so I didn't get too much of body validation I feel like a lot of times when it came to or it's like my shame it was between like my fluctuation and weight and also like my skin color like I dealt with a lot of colorism like once I started um like recognizing my attraction to women like a lot of women that mm-hmm. I was friends with like a lot of lesbians that I knew they didn't date dark-skinned women. They didn't date black women. Um, I remember I asked out this girl in college. And, or like, I had my friend, like, ask, like, oh, do you think Michelle is cute? And she was like, I only date light-skinned girls. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> and that happened a lot. I think, like, I experienced colorism more than anything. But mm-hmm. um, as a form of, I don't know, not necessarily shame, but, like, in a way that, I, like, that's not something I can work on. Like, you know what I mean? What am I going to do? Stay out the sun? I'm not doing that. Like... <laughs> So it's interesting to see like the way that changed and how I ended up shifting myself because I ended up um, cutting out a lot of those people who thought it was acceptable to just say things like that. Like I got to a point where I became very pro-black and I was like, you're not telling me that you don't date black women. You don't like, why should we be friends? You don't even respect me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and then all those. Yeah. That's anti-blackness. It is anti-blackness, but it's interesting to like think about it at the time and like have black women tell me that they won't date me because I'm too dark. Mm. Like it's one thing to get it from like yeah. non-black people, which is what my friends were. They were all like of some Hispanic descent that wasn't black, like Peruvian, um, Colombian, mm-hmm. or whatever. But to get that from mm-hmm. black people is like a whole other thing because it's like, all right, well. We live in, like, we have the same experiences in this culture, even though, like, yeah, of course, there are some people who are lighter skinned, but you know that's wrong, like, you know? Yeah. But that was also, like, my late teens, early 20s. Mm. And so, have you had any experiences, or, I mean, I don't know if you would identify it this way as an eating disorder, but what you were going through in college, in your sophomore year, sounds kind of like an eating disorder so do you identify it as that way do you have other experiences or um other things whether with yourself or somebody else well um it was a sophomore year of my high school uh i don't really i've i don't know if i i think i could that teeters on the label of eating disorder it was such a short period of time and like it's not like i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't have that dysmorphia that comes with eating disorders like i 
recognized mm-hmm. after a while like when I passed out I was like I'm done with this like you know it wasn't like a hard transition for me to stop <laughs> doing it so I don't know how much of that like it impacted my life yes but not so yeah because I'm not gonna be passing out on the street what if somebody like ran over me or something like that felt like a lot I was just like you do the most Michelle. you gotta chill out <laughs> but um I do understand that that might be uh that's a lot of people's experiences. And it's interesting because I feel like when it comes to people of color, we don't really have the discussion of eating disorders because it's something that's always associated with white women and with white people. Yeah. It's usually associated with white people, specifically white women. And it's actually interesting because like when you look up the diagnosis for anorexia, one of the things that's included in the criteria for it is um, being underweight. So a lot of anorexia actually gets um, overlooked if you're not underweight, which is interesting because I was listening to um, the Food Heaven podcast and they mentioned that like they even categorize it differently. So there's anorexia in which you fit the criteria if you're underweight. And then there's atypical anorexia, which they use to diagnose people who aren't underweight. But the interesting thing is only 6% of people who have eating disorders are underweight. So what happens to the 94%? Like you don't get acknowledged. And it's interesting because I think that like where anorexia and bulimia and a lot of these eating disorders lie are in people who are more over, who are considered overweight or obese. Like they tend to be the ones who have like a lot of eating disorders because of the way that they're treated. And even in the medical industry, we don't like, that's not Mm -hmm. validated. I remember seeing a video where this woman was talking about that she wanted to lose weight so that her doctor could finally stop saying that it was because of her body. Like she was just trying to lose weight so that she could figure out what was really going on with her body. Cause her, doctor refused to acknowledge that anything was going wrong and just kept on saying like if you lose weight i guess you'll heal yourself mm-hmm. you and need to lose weight yeah. yeah yeah and that's always what they contributed to the first thing you need to lose weight you need to lose weight and it's really hard to be seen as a whole person yeah. when people like have this like internalized fat phobia and they project that fat out phobia. onto you yeah and as a uh-huh. student physician, like I noticed that, especially in the naturopathic field, whether we want to recognize it or not, there is a lot of eating disorders within my uh, community because a lot of people come into, um, a lot of people tend to come into. Unfortunately, we ran into some technical difficulties during this episode and got cut off mid-conversation. So join us in October when we drop What is Mine? Part 2. In the next episode, we pivot the conversation from how our bodies are violated or controlled by others to what we can do to affirm and feel good in our own bodies. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on From the Root Podcast.